I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier. We're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass, busted draft pick, and game-changing play. Or play call. Intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Sorry, Marshawn, still too soon. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow and listen to Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. I mean, the possibilities are limitless, Kevin. What if Portland drafted Michael Jordan? What if the NBA never vetoed the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers? That's a butterfly effect for real. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Sports presents Big Time Baseball. Fly ball and back in a deep right center field. Lorenzo King. Got it! The wall! Two in the game! And we've got you covered with the best in the business. Deep down the left field line. It's gone! Manny Machado breaks it open with a three run shot. With veteran play by play voice Josh Lewis. A slam! And MLB insider John Heyman. His numbers would look so much better if there weren't guys compiling 600 home runs. Each week will feature a comprehensive look at Major League Baseball, the biggest stories, and a breakdown of the divisions leading up to the 2019 championship race. Harper to center, way back. See you later. It's all right here on Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball. Brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball. It's brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Alongside John Heyman, I'm Josh Lewin. John, of course, has been covering Major League Baseball for, John, is it like four decades now? You started on the Yankees <laughs> well, with Newsday. a lot. I know, uh, I just I mean, I want to give you props. <laughs> is that props? I don't know if that's props or a rip. Uh, uh, 1987 was the first year I was a beat writer for the Angels, believe it or not. So uh, more than All three. All right, so we're, we're counting, we can count the 80s. So, the, right, 80s is a decade, yes. 90s, double O's, uh, and now the, the okay. teens, whatever we call You're this right. thing. You were right. Okay. You were right. You're good at math. Well, no, I'm really not, but I I just <laughs> want to establish your credentials and that you're old. But but I am, too. I, I just, in fact, turned 50, so I, I have credentials oh, now as well. congratulations. Credentials and almost an AARP card. So uh, let's talk about some of the things <laughs> that moved us. way ahead of you, but go ahead. I can't do math. 58. You're 58, are you really? Wow. Damn. All right. Okay, so two old guys <laughs> coming at you talking baseball. And just a quick reminder about what this is and what to expect. Each week, we're going to be bringing you insight into the top story lines across Major League Baseball, including a rundown of the happenings in each division. 
all of our episodes will also include a chat with some of the best baseball voices in the country. We're going to be chatting with Brewers manager Craig Council on this particular episode. Lou Merloni, always opinionated, always fun, host of WEEI, works on the Red Sox broadcast. You'll hear from him as well. Big Time Baseball, part of Radio.com that allows you to listen to your favorite radio stations free anytime. Over 300 stations, over 1,100 podcasts. We are thrilled to be one of them. Some of the things, John, I know that you and I were chatting before we sat down to do the podcast, just looking around and uh, almost the end of April now. So the cement is starting to harden a little bit, right? I mean, you know, for example, the Red Sox had the awful start two and eight and then six and 13. Then they go and sweep Tampa Bay and you figure, okay, they're kind of limping back to, to where it's normal. Got some other teams that started fast, like San Diego that started to slip a little bit. Does it seem to you like this is a time of season now where you can kind of take a breath, look around and say, okay, I think we, we know what we're dealing with a little bit. You know, I, I still think it's early. I, I, I think Memorial Day is really the first gauge that you look at. Uh, you know, I don't know whether it's quarter pole or what, but uh, I think you're going to be, be two months in, and uh, that's when you really can start to see who the contenders and who the pretenders are. I, I don't think anyone ever believed the Red Sox were going to be dreadful off of a 108-win season. I, I think it's impossible to be bad after 108 wins now they certainly have some issues in terms of maybe the hangover psychological they've got some pitching questions but I I don't think anyone thinks they're going to be bad San Diego as you mentioned uh, they're back to the pack a little bit but you know what very exciting team I, I loved what they did in the winter to get Machado and then to bring up Tatis and not worry about that. I know a lot of people complimented the Mets on bringing up Pete Alonzo and not worrying about manipulating the service time. But it's easy to do that if you're in New York and you have the big revenue. If you're San Diego and you have a a bottom third revenue and, uh, you know, the service time manipulation is a big deal for somebody like them. And they did, they ignored it, brought up Tatis. He's obviously a major leaguer, showing his great talent already. And, and I think that's terrific for them. And, and I'd like to see them have a nice a nice season due to the efforts that they've put in. You mentioned Pete Alonzo, and I'm glad you did. Uh, I'm not doing Mets games anymore, but I kind of had my, my finger on the Alonzo pulse all last summer because we kept hearing at AAA Vegas, he's ripping home runs. And there were some people that were saying, well, it's just Vegas. You know, I mean, the ball flies there and it's just AAA, so don't worry about it. Then he comes up to the big leagues. And I don't know if you're an exit velo guy or not, John. I kind of am, am lukewarm on exit velo. But <laughs> you notice numbers like 108 and 111 and 114. And it just seems like those are the MPHs off his bat every game. Yeah, I mean, the only guys who really hit it harder consistently, we'll see. It's, it's early. Maybe he'll even do a 115 or a 120. Uh, the only two would be Judge and Stanton, two guys across town who are currently out. Uh, he's hit some shots to center. And as soon as you start talking to him, about him, that's exactly what I was thinking about was that exit velo. He's been very, very impressive. And that was a great great draft choice by the Mets. Other teams, Yankees and other teams, and the Yankees are a really good drafting team. They got judged at the end of the first round. Uh, they didn't see a star at the University of Florida. It's hard to gauge a first baseman or to pick high a, a first baseman because you're not sure. You're going on the bat. Uh, of course, in college baseball, you're using aluminum bats. Uh, you know, it, it's basically you're looking to see a guy who's got power and can hit. There aren't a, a lot of other attributes that you're looking at. And in his case, uh, he looked like a below-average fielder, and, and so far he, he probably still is, still a work in progress in the field. But give the Mets some credit here because they came up with a plum. The guy can really, really wop the baseball and really added some spice to 
that lineup, and that's the one thing about the Mets. Poor offensive team last year. They look like a very good offensive team right now. And suddenly the pitching is all cattywampus for yeah, them, if exactly. I can use a Midwestern phrase. Uh, so I, I guess let's kind of dive in on that. I don't want to make this a, an all-New York podcast necessarily, but I'm intrigued the fact that DeGrom had the elbow twinge and some other guys aren't exactly what you thought they would be. I keep waiting for Steven Matz to turn a corner, and it seems like every time he turns a corner, he runs headlong into a, a wall. Uh, you know, great stuff, great curveball, you know, uh, Sandy Koufax this, blah, blah, blah. But you look at his career numbers, and it's not like he's 23 anymore. Right. Now, Steven Matz is a great talent. The big thing with him is keeping him healthy. And then when you see him have a start like he had, he had a couple of good starts, and then he threw out eight runs in no innings. I mean, that's going right. to your ERA. That's not a good thing. And uh, then you start to wonder, is he okay? Is he healthy? And there are questions. Obviously, DeGrom... Uh, very big concern. Any little tweak, and they're they're saying that it's not too bad, he should be okay, but anything with DeGrom, I mean, sets off a panic attack, not only in Queens, but Brooklyn, Staten Island, all through the five boroughs. You want to make sure that DeGrom is healthy. If he's not healthy, I mean, uh, they are not the same team, obviously. And then Syndergaard, another guy who's really been a disappointment so far this year. I mean, he's got all the talent in the world. Uh, you know, he really hasn't put together a year, certainly not like DeGrom had last year. That was an all-time year. But really hasn't put together the kind of year that people expect for him with that kind of talent. So definitely the pitching is the concern for the Mets. But you know what? Around baseball, that has been a concern right now. Their offense is up. People are speculating when the ball's juiced. You have some other star pitchers who are not doing well. It's not just the Mets star pitchers. Chris Sale certainly hasn't been himself. Aaron Nola, a young guy who had a fantastic year last year, arguably uh, the second-best pitcher in the league. Now, Scherzer came in second. He came in third in the Cy Young voting, so maybe even third-best, but he still had a 10-war, and he has not been very good. I mean, Philadelphia has relied on Eflin and Velasquez, uh, and Arietta to really carry that rotation at this point. So there's pitching questions uh, around baseball, uh, no question about that. And you'd wonder at this point, with all these pitching questions, when Keuchel and Kimbrell will get jobs because they are needed in a bunch of places. Yeah, I'm going to ask you about those guys in particular a little bit later on. And, you know, it, it's not unusual, I guess, John. I mean, I'm looking at some of the, the the worst ERAs going right now. I mean, you mentioned Nola and Zach Wheeler is in the sixes. And, you know, a guy like Zach Godley, a guy like Zach Greinke, uh, you know, Syndergaard near six, and, you know, Julio Turan. I mean, big names out there, uh, Darvish and Chassin. I mean, these are all guys that are more obscene uh, than, than Chassin <laughs> right now in terms like of the ERA. But that could change, right? I mean, th- this is the whole kind of how I started with you about, you know, when is it not early anymore? When, when does the, the, the actual cement really take hold? Because uh, you, nobody thinks Aaron Nola's ERA at the end of the year is going to be in the sixes. And everybody knows Zach Greinke's got a, a back of the baseball card track record. So isn't it kind of like you, you just look at this as this could just be a handful of bad starts and they happen to be in April? Absolutely could be, but uh, some of them are a little bit alarming, and, and I know it's very early, as we talked about, uh, 
but uh, somebody like Chris Sale, I mean, he's never had three or four bad outings in a row in his whole career, whether it's the start of the year, the middle of the year, whatever. I mean, he is a fantastic, obviously, one of the best pitchers in baseball, and it's shocking to see him struggling to this degree. And some of the other names you mentioned as well, uh, Wheeler, uh, looked like he was becoming a star over the last two months last year, and people were talking about a $100 million deal. I was on FAN, and Joe and Evan were asking me about that and suggesting he's going to be a $100 million player. I, I didn't see that in him when, when they asked me about him, and then I looked at what he did the last two months, and I said, you know what, maybe they were right. Maybe he is that $100 million player, but maybe it's the pressure of free agency coming. I don't know. Um, you know, maybe it was just an aberration last year in his case, but uh, some of these are, are shocking. The sale and Syndergaard, uh, to see them struggling is, is really, really uh, unprecedented and unbelievable. So one of the other topics that we want to get to here on Big Time Baseball, presented by Radio.com Sports, just kind of the, the zeitgeist, I guess, right now, John. I mean, everybody seems to have an opinion on the fun police Uh, Should you be able to flip a bat? Should you be able to celebrate something and not incur the wrath of all humanity? There's kind of enough room for everybody to have a little bit of something here without everybody getting all cheesed off about it. Where are you on this? And, And moreover, where do you think the union is on this? Yeah, well, as you pointed out earlier, I'm I'm old and I'm probably a little bit old school, but I, I actually do like the bat flips. Uh, you know, I I loved the obviously the Joey Bats one that was fantastic, and uh, I'm entertained by it. And I thought Tim Anderson's was different and and fun, and uh, I'm all good with it. Now, of course, once you do that. Uh, he should probably expect to, to get hit. I mean, I'm not in favor of that. I'm kind of a pacifist. I, I, I never espouse anybody hitting anybody in, in, in any spot, but I, I think it was kind of should be kind of expected. He, he seemed to be taken uh, off guard a bit by it and uh, obviously uh, reacted rather strongly. MLB suspended him for a game for uh, using some rather uh, salty language, uh, using that N-word. And, uh, you know, I've seen people suggest that, well, it's part of the culture and it's okay for him, but I, I get it for MLB. That's not a, a word that you want to hear in a Major League Baseball game. And, uh, you know, I do think he overreacted a bit and he did take his one-game penalty. So to me, Tim Anderson made the admission that he deserved the one-game penalty. If he didn't like it, uh, if he thought it, he was being wronged, he should have... Uh, uh, appealed that one-game suspension and really taken it to the mat. I've seen a lot of people say he didn't, he defending him, and it's a cultural thing. But if he really believed in that, needs to appeal that. So I, I think MLB did the right thing too. So generally, I'm in favor of basically what everybody did. Although I'll never say that I'm in favor of throwing at a batter. Yeah, it just seems like time and a place is is kind of the the thing to to sit down and and think about. I mean, if it's uh, a spur of the moment thing, you know, you're in the moment. You just let you, the Joey Bats one in the playoffs is a great example, right? Because that right. came so organically. I mean, that was a huge home run in the biggest game of the year at that point. So why would you tell a guy that you're going to be penalized either with a ball to your backside or with some sort of suspension if you just are happy? You know, that that one I've never understood. But I guess I, I also get the thought that if it's, you know, 4 nothing in the third inning or something like that, uh, I, I understand the people, and I don't know if it's kind of a, a generational thing or not, but that just say, act like you've been there before, you know, be a little bit professional about it. But I, I look at other sports, John, I just don't see that kind of stuff legislated at all. I mean, look, at even hockey now, nobody's coming down on the Carolina Hurricanes for after they win in overtime or a shootout, basically putting on a skit 
You know, I mean, they're, they're doing like a, a play, like, like they've rehearsed this over and over. And the, the other team is not charging at them with their sticks. And the NHL is not saying <laughs> cease and disband. Right. I mean, so I, I just see and, and obviously the NFL, my goodness. I mean, there's there's now incredible choreography on touchdown celebrations. So why does baseball have to still be in 1875 on some of this stuff? Yeah, I, I think baseball is okay with a bat flip. I think where Anderson got into trouble was uh, using that uh, rather uh, racially charged language uh, and acting all put off and uh, kind of uh, uh, raising the stakes in terms of getting both sides' uh, benches to empty. And, um, you know, if he had just taken his medicine, uh, all, all good. There was, I don't think there's anything wrong with the bat flip. I've seen criticism of him on the bat flip because it was a White Sox versus Kansas City. Well, you know what? If you're going to go by that, then then the guys on these teams can't do a bat flip. And I, I see nothing wrong with Tim Anderson being excited, no matter what the score is. I mean, I think it's exciting hitting a home run. Uh, he hasn't been there that much before. He's having a very nice start. Uh, he's got potential. And uh, the reality of it is he isn't David Ortiz or Alex Rodriguez, who's hit a ton of home runs. You may not say it's organic like the Joey Bats thing, which really lifted a nation and was uh, quite a major home run. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I see nothing wrong with a player getting excited, showing that excitement, getting happy. And uh, I think MLB is OK with that part of it. I think all personalities, all cultures should be embraced, right? I mean, just basically you do you. Sure. Uh, you know, y- Yasiel Puig doesn't have to act like Mike Trout, and Mike Trout doesn't have to act like Yasiel Puig. But back to Tim Anderson for a second. If you were trying to make a list, John, of all the 20 homer, 20 stolen base players in baseball last year, don't you think that's the one name that you'd probably leave off just by accident? Yeah, I would I mean, leave that, it off. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah I mean, he's a, heck I, of, I he's a heck of a player, but nobody talks about him. Right, and he's really coming into his own now. He's off to a huge start and looks like he could be a star. I mean, you're right, he had an under-the-radar type season last year. Uh, he showed some signs of coming on, but it was, you know, basically an average player. He looks like he's going to be really good, and he's really excited about it, and I'm happy for him. And it's not that stiff a penalty. I know some people will disagree, and I got a lot of backlash on Twitter for saying he deserved the one-game penalty. But, hey, if he didn't think he deserved it, he had the right to appeal it, and he didn't do it. So real quick, because we got Craig Council coming on in just a little bit, and we're obviously going to ask him about Christian Yelich because what what a thing to have that guy on your team. But I mean, I think it was 13 homers in his first 22 games. Uh, looked like it was personal against the Cardinals. Every time he plays the Cardinals, he <laughs> hit a home run. So you know, here's Yelich, who obviously was beginning to break out in Miami, and I'm I'm sure when they traded him, they knew that his slope was going up, right? I mean, this is not a a plateau. This is not a downward arc that, yes, you're trading a guy who is probably going to get better. But do you think in in the Marlins' wildest dreams, they thought he would get this much better? Yeah, I mean, I think the arc was going up for for Yelich, and and the reason he was very valuable was that contract in the five years left. I think if you rated the outfielders at that time, you'd have Stanton, certainly number one. You'd have Ozuna, who the Cardinals did get, number two. And Yelich would be clearly number three. Now, he was a very good hitter. I think defensively, he's good. He's not a standout, even though I, I believe he might have won a gold glove. But uh, he, he's above average defensively but and a very good average hitter. He was in, in Miami. But he has become the best player in the National League at this point. And I don't think they foresaw that at all. Uh, give Milwaukee credit. I mean, St. Louis was one of the other teams that was showing interest and tried to get him. They obviously didn't step up enough, at least in Miami's eyes. And poor Miami, I think they did the right thing. 
they needed a reset. They needed to trade their, their stars. But I think, that unfortunately, this has turned into a very regrettable deal, not only because of uh, Yelich's incredible performance and one of the best players in the league, MVP last year. Uh, if you had an MVP right now, he'd be the MVP again. Uh, right. The fact that Lewis Brinson, who people had high hopes for, has just not performed yet. I know they had four guys and got four guys for Yelich, and they have hopes for all of them still. But uh, it's it's turned into a rough one for the Marlins at this point. As I said, I don't blame them on the, the idea. I think that trading Stanton and the contract made sense. Uh, Ozuna has been good this year, but hasn't really burned him. It's his one deal, and it's looked like it's killing them right now. So keeping it in the NL Central, because we, we've got uh, Craig Council coming up momentarily here, I just want to give a quick shout-out to the Pirates, because a first-place team in that division, I thought the Pirates would be competitive, and, and they might fall off still a little bit, but I really like what they're doing right now. I mean, you know, you, you look at what they lost. Meadows is having the great start. Glasnow is having the, the great start. Those guys are in Tampa Bay now. Uh, some of the other players they've gotten rid of over the years, uh, you, you'd think they're, they're left with this husk, you know, right? They're this empty husk of a team. They're, they're not looking very empty right now. It's a first-place club. Not at all. I'm glad you brought that up. We covered the Yanks and the Mets extensively, as, as they're always covered everywhere. And uh, the Pirates are kind of an under-the-radar team. And I thought they'd be solid. I, I really didn't think they'd be a contender in that division. I, I thought Milwaukee, with its lineup, would be the best team. Obviously, the Cubs and Cardinals are, are still very good. The Reds made some nice moves. But uh, the Pirates are a very good under-the-radar team. And really, uh, if you look at that rotation, it is excellent. I mean, it's clearly overlooked. Tyon, a star. Williams, a star. I, I, since uh, the the All-Star break last year, he's in the top few in ERA uh, in baseball, Trevor Williams, and nobody even mentions him. So uh, they're a team that's under the radar. Uh, their fans were disappointed because they haven't spent like the fans had hoped they'd spend. But uh, on their payroll, uh, and you can criticize that they don't spend, but on their payroll, they do an excellent job, and uh, uh, they've certainly gotten off to a very, very exciting start. And, and then Polanco and Dickerson will become coming back soon and their offense will be better. Their pitching is good and, and you never know. I still like Milwaukee, but uh, that's uh, that's quite a good division. It should be very competitive for the entire season. Way to go, Captain Segway, because speaking of Milwaukee, we are seeking counsel, so to speak. Uh, Craig <laughs> Council will be joining us momentarily. See what I did there? He's John Heyman. Very I'm good. Josh Lewin. This is Big Time Baseball, presented by Radio.com Sports. He scored the winning run in the 1997 World Series with the Marlins and set up the Diamondbacks World Series title in 2001 with a hit by pitch. Now, the Milwaukee Brewers manager. Yelich leads off here at the bottom of the sixth inning. And he takes a It's Craig Council on Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball. Radio.com Sports presenting Big Time Baseball brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. John Heyman along with I am Josh Lewin. We're going to continue to dive into Christian Yelich's hot start. Talk about the Brewers with Craig Council, fifth season as Brewers manager. Of course, he played 16 seasons in the big leagues. A couple of World Series titles in there with the Marlins and the Diamondbacks and Craig, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Uh, way early to talk about things like World Series and uh, playoff runs and all of that, but you got to like what you've been seeing so far. Yeah, no, it's it's been a, um, you know, we're off to an okay start. I think um, it's been, it feels eventful. You know, you're 23 games in with with still a marathon to go, but I think it's always it always feels eventful. Um, lots of things happening, so. 
you know, we're, we're in it. We're in the middle of it. And, um, you know, so far, so good. Craig, it's John Heyman here. You said lots of things happening. One of those things that's really happening is uh, Christian Yelich performing like he did again uh, this year. I know when you guys made that trade, you were very excited about it. Uh, did you think you were going to get a one-time MVP, a two-time MVP, or, or what when you, when you got him from Miami? Well, I don't, I don't think you think you're trading for MVPs because uh, you, you usually those those guys aren't available. So I don't know if we thought that. I think we thought it was a you know uh, a really good left-handed hitter uh, that you know was going to be in our lineup for for five years. Really good defensive outfielder, um, and then just a player coming into his prime. I think probably more than anything, what we thought is man, a young left-handed hitter coming into his prime. You know, and that. You don't necessarily know all that can come of that, or you don't know what the ceiling is. But um, getting a 26-year-old guy that had already spent three years, three or four years in the big leagues and coming into his prime is pretty exciting. And the guy that's out there with him, Lorenzo Cain, who had been in the organization before, obviously, but came back a much more polished, refined, beautiful product. Uh, how important is he to everything you guys do, not just in the in the lineup and not just in the field, but in the clubhouse too? Well, he's been, you know, if, if anybody's kind of set the tone for who we are, it's it's Lorenzo. He's um, he's, you know, both him and Christian are just kind of quiet, competitive people, and uh, their competitiveness really stands out. Um, Lorenzo's on base skills, you know, especially hitting ahead of Christian, has been really important to our offense. He's he's taken his on base game kind of up a level since he's he's been back with us um, to where he's, you know, one of the top. Ten or ten or so guys getting on base in the game, and, and obviously when you got Christian Yelich behind you, that's that's a really good thing. So, um, you know, those are those are the two guys that make our offense run, and uh, they've been doing uh, you know a lot of heavy lifting so far. It's at this point, it's kind of getting the other guys going that's really going to make our offense start rolling. Yeah, the amazing thing about Yelich and Kane, they were acquired within 24 hours of each other. So give credit to the front office there. We all do, I know. Did a fantastic job. Uh, fascinating NLCS last year, which I covered with you and the Dodgers, small market and big market. And I know you've already played the Dodgers. I mean, I'm not a great prognosticator, but I, I'm kind of feeling like we may see a rematch uh, in this year's NLCS. I don't want to jinx you or anything, but um, how, how do you look at this year right now? I know you're off to, you felt like you're off to an okay start. That's your word. Um, tough Central right now. Pittsburgh looks good. We know the Cubs and Cardinals are very good. W- where do you think you stand in terms of that Central and your chances to get back to the NLCS and then and then get over the hump and get into the World Series? Yeah, I mean, the, the strange thing for us is so we're you know we're after this series we're going to be 26 games into the season and and 17 of those games are going to be against the Cardinals and the Dodgers. So we don't it doesn't even feel like we've. We even know what the National League looks like right now. It just feels like we know what the Cardinals and Dodgers look like. Um, <laughs> so, so that's that's been the. Um, that, I don't know if I have a great sense. I just the league feels very evenly matched. That's that's one thing I will say. Um, you know, the Dodgers are a very good team. I mean, there's they're every bit the team that they had last year. Um, there's no question about that. So they're they're certainly a formidable um, a team in the league. But um, you know, I think just. You know, probably just canvassing the league and you know watching games and stuff. It just it feels like the league is very balanced, and that's going to mean um, that it's you know we're, I think we're going to have a great great races uh, this season. Craig Council visiting with us, Brewers manager. It's big time baseball presented by Radio.com Sports. 
Got to ask you the requisite pitching question, and it's not just because we <laughs> we look around and, and see, you know, the, the whole landscape of the National League. It just seems like there's some teams that are just pitching lights out, and, and that's carrying them. Some are just kind of plugging along right now. Where do you see you guys? Uh, I mean, obviously, Hater is such an intriguing piece of your bullpen, and uh, you, you've got other guys there that, that have uh, – done enough in this game but when you look at the the top to bottom your number one guy your number 13 guy uh, on the on the pitching staff how do you feel about it right now um well you know really where we have struggled so far this year in my eyes is just our young starters have gotten off to a slow start and um you know, at some point that's anticipated. You know, you're going to have to live with some with some ups and downs of a young starting pitcher developing um, and going through some growing pains um, to, to kind of get out to the other side when you have um, really good young starting pitching. And I think that's that's a product of patience. We, we have to be a little patient in that area. Um, so... You know, if anything, that's probably where we can improve, and I think it's an easy place for us to improve as the season goes on. These guys will get better. They're talented young kids, and they, they will get better. Um, so that that's a place that we can improve. Our, our bullpen's done a, done a pretty darn good job. I mean, it's it's the numbers aren't great, but in spots where we've needed uh, to put up zeros and um, do the, do the right things, we've done good things. So I'm I'm pleased with how our bullpen is working. You know, we we did lose. You know, for the better part of the season, we've been without three of kind of probably our top eight guys, and and we've withstood that. And now we're now we got Jeffers back, so that's a big big guy to have back. And so we're we're I think we're doing a pretty good job in the bullpen. Josh had a couple of hiccups, gonna happen. Um, we're still gonna you know I, I think relying on Josh Hader is gonna work out pretty good for us. Um, so I, I'm. You know, I think we can get better pitching-wise, and I think it's really about young pitchers just kind of going through some, some things and getting better as they get more experience. Burns and Woodruff, I think, are ultimately very, very talented. But, you know, I've been suggesting for two-plus years now that the Brewers are kind of short in starting pitching, and I'm not just saying this to suck up to you, but I actually think uh, your managing is excellent in terms of handling the pitching staff, and you're kind of a managing savant that you've been able to get top 10 uh, finishes out of your starting pitching, uh, and on paper it didn't look like it was that kind of pitching. Now you do have young talent now, so uh, perhaps ultimately it will be better this year. Uh, put you on a spot a little bit. I, I don't know how you'd go with this. Your team has been connected to Kimbrel, uh, and, and you've obviously uh, lost Knable, your your closer, uh, who was excellent for you last year. Um, you know, if you had your druthers, and obviously we know that there's a big starting pitcher out there as well, and, and we know that the Brewers have been willing in the past to go for that short-term star and give up that draft choice, uh, would you say that uh, you think Hader can cover it and you'll be safe there, or do you, do you feel like uh, you'd go with bullpen or starter if you had your choice? Yeah, well, I don't know if you'll get a direct answer to that question. But, uh... <laughs> I told you I was putting you on the spot. <laughs> I mean, I think, look, every team's looking to get better, and, and I think, um, you know, I, I credit Mark, or Antasio, our owner, and, and he's always, you know, tried and, and done anything he can to, to help us get better. And so I think every team looks at ways they can get better. Um, you know, we, we have 
pitchers to cover inning. We're almost as deep as we've ever been pitching wise. Um, we've just we've got to do internally. We we've got to get these young pitchers going. We got to get some of these young starters going. That's that's really going to be the nothing. Nothing external is more important than getting these young pitchers going, and and it's um it's our job to do it. Um, we. You know, are fully confident in, in their ability to do it, and, and I think it's going to happen as we get going here. Uh, fascinating team, wonderful manager, always a great experience being around this particular team. Uh, Craig, thank you for your time and continued success to you. Going to be a hell of a an NL Central, it looks like, so keep having at it, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, look forward to talking to you guys this summer. T- take care. See you, Craig. All right. And we've got more still to come here. Lou Maloney is going to join us. We'll be talking AL East. Radio.com Sports presenting Big Time Baseball. He is John Heyman. I'm Josh Lewin. He was a nine-year major leaguer, including five seasons with the Boston Red Sox. Now he's a WEEI host and an NBC Boston baseball analyst. High shot out to left center. Kiermaier, long run, turning around, and that ball is gone. A grand slam for Benintendi. It's Lou Merloni on Radio.com Sports, Big Time Baseball. Radio.com Sports presenting Big Time Baseball. It's brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. And speaking of class, Lou Merloni <laughs> joins us right now. He is with uh, WEEI in Boston, one of the great talk show hosts they have, and a guy that I'm uh, very thrilled to say that I work with, kind of, on the Red Sox broadcast. It's like never the twain shall meet. But, uh, Lou, fantastic to have you on. I want to dive right in on Red Sox, if you don't mind. Sure. When when they were 2-8 and eight and the sky was falling, were you a voice of reason, or were you saying, oh, my God, that they really could be this bad? Well, I think it's a, there's a balance, right? I mean, listen, when they were one in three, okay, there was people <laughs> saying the season was over. So you sort of fall in that category of, like, relax, it's still early. But then you get to three and eight, and, you, you know, and, and things start to get real, you know. So um, you start looking at the ball club, and they weren't playing well in any facet whatsoever, offense, defense pitching, uh, none of it. You know, the bullpen was okay, but they were pretty much asked to hold deficits, and I think it's easier to pitch out of pen when that's the case. So, um, so you started to be concerned that this thing could get away from them. Uh, but, you know, I think you just you come out, you have a good weekend against Tampa Bay, and it just allows you to breathe a little bit easier. The rotation's throwing the ball better, and you just have a feeling like it'll start to turn. But believe me, it got to a point where even myself, I was sitting there saying, okay, it's got to turn quick because uh, I don't like what I was seeing. Hey, Lou, John Heyman here. And, you know, you've been a, a personality in that town and a, and a staple for a long time. You've seen a lot of championships. And I know Alex Cora said there's no such thing as a hangover. And I, I, mean, I think that goes to maybe a psychological thing. But you know, obviously there's a physical issue if you pitch deep into October and they yeah. try to bring guys along slowly. Do you think there it was more of a physical issue? A, is there a psychological issue? Or what do you think the reason was behind their slow start? You know, I, I know physically, you know, they're talking about building up these pitchers, and and I think they were correct with that, as we all know. I mean, what they gave them in October was, was off the charts. Every pitcher was available. There were no side sessions. So physically, you should have backed off some of these guys, and, and they should have just kind of came out and said, you know, we're building to that point. I actually think, John, it was more mental than anything, and, and I think it's expected. You know, it's almost – I try to talk about, like, a fan base around here, too, like a Red Sox fan, you know, going into 4 how hungry you were to win, and then 05, how did you feel? I'm sure people out in Chicago, after the Cubs finally won one, there was that little bit of a letdown. They didn't need to win anymore. And I think that's only 
I, I just think that's common for even an athlete when you win a World Series. I know Alex said that we are extremely motivated. We're motivated to win another one, to repeat. And I'm like, well, that's not as motivated as, say, the Yankees are this year, even though they have all their injuries. Or Houston, because they lost. Or Milwaukee, because they lost late. Or the Dodgers. So I, I do think part of it was mental. We're a good team. We know we're going to keep figuring this thing out, which is why I think I liked what I heard from David Price last week about, you know, if we don't turn this thing around, they're going to trade all of us. So it was really the first sense of everything is not okay. We need to turn this thing around, and we need to do it now. So talking about Tampa Bay uh, while we're on that track here, I mean, obviously a tremendous start. They're so creative. They've got a great bullpen, zero payroll. So there's a lot to really Mm -hmm. admire about Tampa Bay. Is it a, a tenable existence for them, Lou? I mean, at some point, does somebody in that bullpen go down and the whole ecosystem just gets thrown out of whack, or do they have enough in their system to still make this work no matter what? I don't think they're going anywhere. You know, I think it's a very good club. Uh, you know, I think they, they stole a couple guys in Glasnow and Meadows. I mean, I, I look yeah. back at that trade, and, you know, that could be, like we talked about up here with Derek Lowe and Jason Baratek for Heath Slocum. I mean, these two guys, the way they're playing, and others. They have a lot of names offensively that people aren't familiar with. Obviously, Tommy Pham, people are familiar, but there's other guys. And they now have three starters. And I know Snell's on the DL, but he'll be back. You know, it's Glasnow and Morton. Um, yeah, we all know that will they be able to, at the deadline, do what maybe other teams can? Probably not. But I just don't think it's a fluke. I think it's a very good team who offensively, um, they put them those guys in position to succeed, and they have the pitch in. So, whether they hold on in this pace and win the division, but I think they're in the playoff picture all year long. Hey, Lou, I'm with you on Glasnow and Meadows, and a lot of, yeah. I know a lot of people were when that trade was made. That seemed like an, an awfully good deal for Tampa. They've made a lot of good deals, and if you know mm-hmm. me, you know I'm about the contracts and the deals, and obviously Boston's done a terrific job there. No matter what the regime is, they seem to do well. Uh, but they've, they've made some big deals lately, and you know, teams love to keep their championship teams together, so uh, I don't think it was a surprise that they went out. I mean, look, at San Francisco, they kept trying to keep their team together as long as they could. They signed guys. Philly, even Kansas City, small market team, signed Gordon yep. back, signed some people back. Now, Boston, now they signed Sale back. I don't think anybody was going to argue with that. He's an all-time great pitcher, really. Uh, and they went back, and Evaldi, who was a huge hero in the World Series, particularly in that Game 3 in L.A., and they signed uh, him to a four-year deal. Uh, you know, I put, just to put a little pressure on you as somebody who's around the team at all, do you think they would take a mulligan on, on either of those deals at this moment? I know it's early in the year with Sale, but and I love Evaldi personally, great guy, but he's got that injury history. I mean, you could probably go out and get a Dallas Keuchel for one year and $15 million right now, and they put $230 million into these two pitchers right now. Yeah, you know, it was. I almost talked myself into the Sale deal. Because I know last year it was like, you know, how can you give this guy this kind of money without seeing what he looks like this year? And you waited out near the Red Sox and you just outbid somebody if he has a strong year. And when they, but the more I've gotten to, you know, talk to him, interview him, you know, and obviously, as you know, like the luxury tax money, the way they deferred it, $25 million up against it, uh, you know, and, and that's, like, that's a pretty good deal for him. It was almost like they were paying a little bit extra to have this personality, the guy in the locker room. Because everything he says is gold. I mean, you want him representing the staff and representing this team. And, of course, it comes with risks. And, you know, we saw it early on. And I, I personally think he's ready to go now you know, after what I saw against the Yankees with velocity and the power. So, you know, I, I feel good about Chris Hill. The Evaldi one I didn't like from day one, you know, when they signed him. Because 
we fell in love with what you saw as a Red Sox fan in the World Series. And the reality is that's just not him. He's been extremely inconsistent throughout his entire career, not just performance-wise, but also with health injuries. And I think when you, when you give a guy that kind of deal, you are hopefully saying that this is a guy who can give me 30, 31 starts every year, almost like what Rick Porcello has done, but maybe at a higher level because his stuff is better. And I don't think he can give you that. And obviously now he's on the DL, um, and we saw two with his performance. You know, we, he was dominant in his first two games when the Red Sox traded for him uh, in, in July. But then we forget he gave up you know, 12 hits against Baltimore and 12 hits against Cleveland. He pretty much got demoted to the bullpen because he was inconsistent. So it'll be interesting to see if, if he can be reliable take them out, which obviously there's a setback now in the DL. But that was one that I felt like they fell in love with a two-week performance and they just didn't want him to leave and it might hurt him. We got a couple more minutes with the great Lou Maloney here, big time baseball on radio.com. Yeah, you're, you're pretty great. Hey, no, you, you mentioned you mentioned Tyler Glass now, and I want to get you yep. back just for a moment because there was a game the other day where, and I know it's Tampa Bay, they do things their own way, but he's cruising along with his one point whatever ERA. He's at 76 or 77 pitches in a Sunday afternoon game. They take him out. And it looked like he was going to punch somebody right in the spleen yep. when he was sitting there in the dugout watching that lead get away. Where are you on that that line of demarcation of, okay, we got to protect the guy, we need to get the bullpen in, it's a pitch count deal, it's early, versus eyeballs that say, boy, this guy's dealing right now and he doesn't want to come out. I hated that move, and I think it cost him that game. I mean, he... He missed location, you know, with one pitch to Mookie. You know, he didn't elevate up, and he left it down, and he got the base hit to right, and you pull him at 76 pitches. He was dominant in this game. Um, I don't like that. I know they're big on third time through the order, but I still believe in the eyeballs. And if I'm Kevin Cash, you know, and I am doing the opener, which, by the way, I don't mind at all. I actually kind of think it makes sense to me if you've got this kind of staff. Yeah, I would right. try to get as much as I can out of Glasnow, out of Snell, you know, and I know Morton you got to keep an eye on. But those two guys in particular, I probably would try to get a little bit more out of them just so I can save a few guys, you know, for these next few days because I know it's going to be chaos. 76 pitches, just because it's the third time through the order, he was dominant. And I think that cost him that game. I, I just I don't agree with it. Our time is short with Lou Merloni. Hope you enjoyed his sweet southern accent here. It, it fell softly <laughs> across your ears. And Lou, we'll see you soon in Boston, my friend. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Good talking to see you. See you, Lou. Radio.com Sports presenting Big Time Baseball. He is John Heyman. I'm Josh Lewin. Rendon launches one to left. See you barely later. And the game is tied. What are the latest rumors around the game? Josh Lewin and John Heyman go around the diamond on Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball. Radio.com Sports presenting Big Time Baseball. It's brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. John Heyman, Josh Lewin. And we want to wrap things up by just kind of breaking down some of the storylines that we're tracking. And John, you uh, being the, the news hound that you are. Some of the things I'm curious about is all these guys keep signing extensions, and it's no longer a surprise, I guess, when a Chris Davis, for example, just steps up and, and gets his done. Who's next? Is a guy like Anthony Rendon uh, maybe a possibility? That's Chris Davis with a K, of course. Very good yes, for of course. Oakland. Anthony Rendon, yeah, they've definitely been talking. Um, the sides are in contact. I, I know that the agent Scott Boris went to Washington and met with them a couple weeks ago. 
And uh, Anthony Rendon met with the owner, Mark Lerner, recently. But my understanding right now is that they are not particularly close on a deal. Uh, so the optimism isn't really there at this point. I, I do think there is uh, an impetus for both sides. Rendon has been great there. Obviously, they didn't sign Harper, uh, which made sense because uh, they, even though Harper's fantastic, they've, they've got Robles, they've got Soto in the outfield, but how do you replace an Anthony Rendon? So uh, the the Nats would obviously like to sign him, and Rendon has done very well there. He likes it there very much, but they still have to have an, a deal. They still have to come to agreement. And my understanding at this point is they aren't necessarily close. It's an interesting situation where you have a, a contract that's out there that's an obvious comp, and that would be Nolan Arenado. And while Arenado has a bigger name and perhaps a bigger rep, especially defensively, if you look at the numbers the two have put up the last couple of years, case could be made that Rendon has actually been the better offensive player the last couple of years. If you look at the splits, uh, the, the road hitting, you could say Rendon is actually a slightly better offensively. Arenado, a magician defensively. Rendon's still very good. So uh, a lot to think about there. And, you know, I think they're shooting high, which they should. He's a terrific player, top 15 player in the game. But uh, I don't think we're close at this point. You know what's weird to me about Rendon? It seems to me like it's almost like a Bobby Abreu situation, John, where he's never going to be the best player or most popular player on his own team. He always gets overshadowed by somebody. I mean, obviously it was Harper for a while. Now it's the young outfielders and uh, the, the pitching, you know, if Scherzer's around. I mean, he's never going to be the first guy that gets talked about, but always a very important player anyway. Here we are. It's not the end of April yet, obviously, and yet I'm about to be a dork and bring up the hot seat. Uh, and, and it's not unprecedented that seats get hot <laughs> and managers get bounced in April, I mean, Yogi Berra had that happen to him, and then he was estranged from the Yankees for basically two decades after that. He was so chapped about it. Uh, the Orioles on their way to 0-21 years ago, right? I mean, they made a change six games in. Didn't really help that much. But are there hot seats right now? Uh, I mean, whether it's a Mickey Calloway or somebody who's off to a, a poor start in the, uh, in the American League. I, I don't really know of anybody in the AL that, that springs to mind right now. But is, is it too early too dorky to start asking you about hot <laughs> Well, you know, guys have been fired early. Phil Garner was fired after six games with Detroit. Of course, he had a new boss at that time, and they were 0-6 and went on to have a historically bad season, basically. Um, you know, I'm not sure if anybody's on the hot seat, but you mentioned Mickey Calloway. Um, you know, I think he, there is pressure for him this year. I think that uh, Brody Van Wagen is going to be patient and uh, give him uh, ample time. So I, I wouldn't say hot seat yet, but I would say for the year, yes, hot seat. Uh, the first year was kind of a learning uh, experience for him, um, kind of learning on the fly. Terrific guy, terrific personality, obviously knows his pitching, and uh, he may grow into the j job. And they're off to an okay start. They're doing all right. Their pitching, uh, interestingly enough, has been their weak part to this point. But I, I do think there is pressure on Callaway. I'm not going to say hot seat, but I'm going to say uh, pressure on, on Callaway. Obviously, got a new GM there, and the first year didn't go as planned for Callaway. I got one more for you, maybe two, time permitting, but I, I got to go kind of 1A, 1B on Keiko Kimbrell because they do seem to be joined at the hip right now, yeah. the two celebrated free agents that just can't get signed or won't get signed. Is there a clearing in the thicket? Ahead here for either of those guys? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that there is at this point. We will see. Uh, there is, seems to be a, a dichotomy of these two players. There's a difference of opinion right now of how to approach this. And Keiko, I think, is fine with a one-year deal and resetting and then going 
for the big deal uh, that he was going for this year and wasn't able to get. I, I don't think at this point he's insisting or even wanting a long-term deal. So I, I think uh, maybe Keuchel's in a little bit better position to sign more quickly. I could be proven wrong, of course. You never know on this on these things. Uh, there are a lot of teams that need relievers as well. But, uh, you know, uh, Keuchel, it's, uh, I think there are a lot of teams that could use a starter. Obviously, some teams have gotten off to a very bad start in terms of the rotation. The Mets are one of those teams. Uh, Red Sox, a little bit iffy. The Phillies have had hit and miss in the rotation, so that's a team to look at. For Keuchel, his old Astros team, they've, they've had a couple of issues in the rotation. They're still playing very well. And uh, the Padres are a team, and if you're talking about a one-year deal, that could bring different teams into it. The Padres uh, were off to a hot start, obviously have cooled down a little bit, but uh, uh, they may want to, to get in on a one-year deal. Uh, as far as Kimbrell goes, still looking for a three-year deal, still looking to do a Wade Davis-type deal. I'm not sure that he's going to be able to. I do think he's on a Hall of Fame track. I do think he is a, an all-time great reliever, whether he's the greatest reliever of all time. I'm not sure, but statistically, awfully good. I know there were questions at the end of last year, even though he saved all the games in the playoffs. People were wondering about him, and obviously he was not able to get the kind of dollar that he was hoping to get. He was looking early on on trying to beat Jansen and Chapman or get in that category, and that just didn't uh, happen for him. So he's had to set his sights lower, and right now he's looking at a three-year deal, last I heard. One-year deals he can get. I mean, the the Braves were willing to do a one-year deal at the end of spring training. I think there are other teams willing to do it. Obviously, there are teams that could use a reliever, Milwaukee among them, that's been tied to, to Kimbrel. And the Cubs, if they're willing to go over the threshold, and the and the Nats, if they're willing to go over the threshold, that threshold has really hurt Kimbrel. Cubs now with Morrow out, so uh, they're definite teams for him, but uh, he may have to set his sights even a little bit lower than he is right now. I like that we end with a cliffhanger. It's a nice way to, to kind of wrap things up <laughs> and get good. people to tune in next time. John, thanks so much, buddy. Have yourself a great few days. Well, thank you guys all for tuning in. Remember, it's Radio.com Sports. The name of the program is Big Time baseball make sure you're subscribed tell your friends tell your enemies we don't care who you tell just circulate it for us and uh, (laughs) we'll look forward to talking to you again josh lewin thanks so much everybody see ya thanks for listening to radio.com sports big time baseball brought to you by the 2019 mercedes-benz a-class josh lewin and john heyman will be back next week diving into the latest across major league baseball This has been a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. 
Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.